know that he's a very present help in time of trouble. So if a time of trouble shows up, guess who else is there? Because he's a very present help in time of trouble. You may never run into trouble and God not be there. He's going to be there. You believe it? Praise God. Give him another hand clap of praise. Our young people can be ready to be, they can go ahead and go out to their class tonight. God bless you. Sneezed. Thankful for our youth. Thankful for the saints of God tonight. Feel free to move forward if you want to with all these things empty out. We'd love, love for you to come on up and be involved. Uh, it slipped my mind. I showed you how good my mind's getting, but I was speaking with Brother Wayne right before service. We were asking about Sister Pleasure and do remember to pray for her each day. She's just just weaker. He says she hardly eats anything now, and just very weak, uh, hard for her to get around. And it's, so let's be praying for her, and uh, God will just be with her and take care of her, and that she doesn't suffer. When it's time to go, that God will just call her home. I know that her family wants her around as long as the Lord will allow it. Also know they love her and they know where she's headed. Oh, what a day it'll be. I can hear her now. When she steps in that other place, she's gonna go, oh now, you, if you've never, if you don't know what I'm talking about when you go in to see her, that's that's her that's the greeting you get. She's so excited to see people. And uh, so I know she's gonna be so excited comes. We love our elders. Thank God for it. We're going to actually play a little catch up here tonight, but the lesson is perfect for what's going on this week and in this service. Uh, tonight, uh, we have missed two weeks in a row in our Sunday school class, and so we're going to jump into a lesson uh, of our Sunday school class tonight. Our first lesson in this series on faith was that we have faith. And we know that we have faith because the scripture says God hath given to each man the measure of faith. And so we have the ability for miracles in our lives. We have the ability to believe for impossible things because we have been given a measure of faith. The measure of faith. In other words, if, we, if it was just a measure, it could be different for each one of us. But the Lord said, I give you the measure of faith. That way everybody gets the same measure. What you do with it, up to you. But I've given you the measure of faith. And if it only takes faith as a grain of a mustard seed for miracles to happen, then I know that God gave us the measure of faith that can accomplish miracles. Because he wouldn't have gave us faith that doesn't work. He didn't give you faith that does work. And so while faith is great for miracles, and we thank God for that, it also takes faith to be saved. You know that? A lot of people uh, believe that you know, because God is love that uh, nobody will be lost. Oh no, God's love. Nobody's going to be lost, surely. And God is love. And ain't a single person that will be lost into eternity that God don't love. But we have to have faith and believe in salvation that comes from God. Our lesson scripture tonight comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 you can follow on the screen with us or either in your Bibles tonight Ephesians 
by grace are you saved through faith. So this grace plus zero stuff just don't cut it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. We know that faith without works is dead. You've got to have some action. But you need grace. Ain't no doubt about it. And you need faith. No doubt about it. But you've got to do something too. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, that may have sounded like I just contradicted myself because you just said faith without works is dead. But he said we don't need works. No. He said don't put works in front of grace and don't put works in front of faith. You can't work your way into heaven. It takes grace and it takes faith. Scripture all over the place bears that out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him or have faith in him so uh, and then even in the book of Acts we read after the church has started uh, Philip is preaching to a eunuch on a chariot going through the desert and he says here's water what does hinder me to be baptized and he said if you believe or if you have faith then you can he said I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and so he believed had faith but then he went to the water and was baptized so uh, Philip shows it if you don't believe you don't have faith it's not going to work and even Jesus said he that believeth or has faith and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not if you don't have faith be damned so it takes faith in the salvation that he has provided it takes faith that Jesus loves you our idea the big idea the way they compile it says this salvation comes only by faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ not because of our good deeds. And that's right. So let's lift our hands and pray for the lesson tonight that we can get something out of this. Maybe a refresher course in what it meant for us to believe in Jesus. Lord, we love you tonight and thank you for the faith, Lord, the measure of faith, not only for miracles, but that we might be saved because of what you did at Calvary. Because of what you did by coming out of that grave. By what you did scripture from John 4 talk about a, a woman that uh, she may not have felt like she was worthy but she had faith it was high noon the streets were baking beneath Samaria's blazing sun and they were noticeably empty it seemed like most of the city was huddled in the shade eating lunch resting waiting for the sun to begin setting so they could start back to the fields to finish up their work it was just another sun-soaked day in Samaria. And on that day in the middle of the day, while everyone else was indoors, a lone woman snuck down the street and headed for the well at Sychar. She was the talk of the town, but for all the wrong reasons. Many of Samaria's citizens remembered the first wedding and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. She had married five men. She stood at an altar and said, I do, five times only for each marriage to end in their divorce or his death. She had had it with marriage, so she was just living with the sixth guy. This was not the life she had mapped out. This was not 
what she had seen herself as a little girl. She dreamed of a happy home with a caring husband, adoring children, and adorable, lovely grandchildren. But life took a cruel turn, and her life turned out to be one massive regret. She was ashamed of her past, but helpless to change it. So she kept to herself. She came outside when everyone else was inside, so she did not have to see or hear from anyone. But on that day, somebody say on that day, all would change. On that day, in the middle of the day, while everyone else was sitting around the lunch table, Jesus was sitting right beside her well. I tell you, there's a lot of things that I think about with this woman's life. And she had, you know, the scripture doesn't really tell. This is a narrative and says that we do know she was married five times. While she doesn't have any of those husbands around, is only left for us to speculate. Bad marriages, whether they passed away, whatever happened. But she had had five husbands, and now uh, she was just living with a sixth guy. Life had not turned out for her like she wanted it to. And it happens like that with us. We plan our lives certain ways, and things happen. And all of a sudden, we're not the person that we thought we would be in our adult lives. We're not the person that uh, we know we could be in our adult lives. But we feel a lot like this woman. I'm helpless to change my past. I can't do anything about it. It happened. People know about it. There's nothing left for me. She had no idea that on that day, as she went to the well, like she had done many other times, that Jesus was going to be sitting there waiting on her. She was heading for a Jesus encounter. Just like every single one of us, every single person in this world is going to have an opportunity to speak with this Savior, to meet with this Savior, to have an encounter with Jesus. She didn't see it coming. She didn't plan it. She didn't schedule it. She was going through her life day after day. She had no idea that the well of living water was sitting on the well that she went to every day. I'm glad that I ran into Jesus one day. I'm glad that there's a miracle. You know, Jesus was walking and he said, I must needs go through Samaria. He said, I know that she'll be there and I'm going to be there too. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus has got plans of meeting you? Meeting you when you don't realize it. Meeting you when you're not expecting it and meeting you when you need him the most. I'm thankful today. That this God is always looking out for us. That this God wants to save us. And so she gets to the well and now there's a conversation between her and Jesus. As she draws closer to the well, she walked around Jesus. And then he spoke to her. If his presence did not surprise her, then surely his words would. Give me a drink. Jesus will always initiate that contact. We may not realize that it's him, but he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. A lot of times people think I went looking for Jesus, but he already initiated that encounter. Don't ever think that you went to him first. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. He already done what it took to get you to where you needed to be. And so he said, give me drink. And she looks to the left and to the right and behind her and all around because she just can't believe that he's talking to her. Surely if he knows anything about me, he's not talking to me. And not only that, he's a Jewish man, and Jewish people and Samaritan people, especially Samaritan women, are not supposed to be talking. 
to Jewish men. Now, faith is what it takes to save us. And this woman now is on a journey of faith because she's either got to respond or she's going to walk away. She's going to either have faith and see what the follow-up is to that, that command or she's going to say, I'm not talking to you. I surely don't need to be seen talking to another man. I got one at home that ain't my husband now. I surely don't need for somebody to pass by and say, I seen her with another guy up at the well. But since he asked her for a drink of water, she asked him the obvious question. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Her statement portrays her idea of herself and her situation. Because she realizes that there's no way this should be happening. There's no way that you, being a Jew, should be speaking to me, asking anything from me. And we feel like that a lot of times with God. Why would you ask anything from me? Because I know that you're holy and I'm not. You're good and I'm not. I'm messed up and you're not. I'm not worthy and you are. We're always... Uh, speaking hopelessness in our situation. But he don't care about your situation. He's there to fix your situation. The encounter didn't happen, and she wasn't so bad that uh, this was going to change anything. The reason for this encounter was the condition that she was in. And the reason Jesus shows up to people so many times is because of the bad condition they're in. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And he made another statement and said, they that are whole don't need a physician, but I came to find those that are sick and work with those that, need, that are broken. I came to work with those that got problems, stuff in their lives, skeletons in their closet, bad habits, addictions, things they don't want nobody to know about, guilt and shame and, and heartache and pain. I know all about it, but that's why I'm here. But when she says, this can't even be happening, that's the way we feel when Jesus starts speaking into our life. Surely this is not Jesus. Surely this is not God. Surely you can't be talking to me because look who I am. But that's why he's talking to you. And Jesus looks into her eyes and he looks into her soul. And he says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. I thought about that when I read that today. And it reminded me of the, the psalmist that wrote. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice. He heard her question. Heard her question not just him. But she was questioning herself. Questioning uh, that she had any uh, possible means of communicating with him. That she should be fellowshipping with him. Or associating with him because of her her birth and who she was and and I think we're the same way that we wonder should we be having anything to do with God at all because we know how horrible we've been we know how bad our life was I've had people come to the altar and saying I don't know if God can save me maybe I've been too bad for God to save they they question themselves because they know how terrible they've been but when Jesus heard her question he heard what she said and he answered and he said he said, look, if you knew who you were talking to and what I had to offer, you would be asking me and I would give you living water. And I think maybe that woman thought, whew, I'm glad I asked the question. Man, let me tell you, sometimes it just takes you initiating a response to God. Right. 
You need to talk to him. The Bible says to come before him with words. We need to come bringing words, letting our hearts speak out. And even if it's a question saying, what am I going to do? How could you have anything possibly good for me because of the life I've lived? And listen to what he's got to say. Because he'll give you the same answer of hope that he gave this woman. If you would just trust me, I'll give you living water. If you'll just hand it to me, I can fix it. If you'll just trust me, I can put it back together. If you'll just walk in my ways, the Bible tells me if I'm willing and obedient, I'll eat the good of the land. And you know, sometimes being willing and obedient takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. It takes you through heartache and pain and loss, but you still eat the good of the land. Because God's always looking out for people. This woman, she's trying to get in and out without anybody seeing her. I don't have time to sit around and and chat. I don't want to draw water for a stranger and somebody see me. I'm trying to get out of here, but there was something about him. Can you remember when God really got a hold of your heart? And you try to tell somebody about it, and all you can say was, I don't know what to say except it was God. The night that that I was sitting in the pew... And God got a hold of me. I've never felt anything like that. Anything I had ever done didn't compare to it. I didn't know what it was except I knew that it was God. I had never felt it before, but I knew it was God. Well, you was in church. It didn't matter where I was at. I knew it was God. I've sat in church and I felt God. So I couldn't just say, well, every time I walked in, I felt God. God got on me in a serious way. And he said, and, and just like this, I had just made a statement, like just like this woman the night before, and he answered that. He answered my statement. He said, I heard what you said. Here's my answer. He answered it with his word. Yeah. And man, I'm I'm sure that she must have felt the same thing. Something began to turn inside of her. There was something about him that intrigued her. Something his was his, his, his kindness, his his bravery to to break the norm and the taboos of coming into Samaria at all, especially talking to her. Or maybe it was this living water that he offered. So she took a chance and she engages in the conversation. And she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Isn't it amazing that what God's going to do for us is always beyond our comprehension? That's right. yes. The well's deep. You don't have nothing to draw with. How are you going to get water? We're always trying to think that he's going to fix us with something in this world. But he said, I got, he said, you need a supernatural touch. You don't just need uh, another drink of this water. You don't just need another uh, dip out of the well that you're coming to every day. You need something else. But we can't, we always think he's going to fix it with something in our life like that. But he's trying to change our life. He's trying to give us something that's uh, from another world. And so that's, now she's got to have faith because I can't comprehend what you're doing. I can't understand. I can understand how God could work in my life and wash my sins away. I felt so guilty before I went to the altar, before I came out of the water. I felt so dirty and, and, and felt so rotten before I came out of the water. But when I came out of that water, I felt clean. And I don't know how to tell you that as if you that's been baptized, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but I felt like a new creature. And I don't know how to explain that. It's beyond my comprehension. And so maybe her mind began to think of all the times that she walked this same path every day just to draw water. Water for cooking, bathing, cleaning, washing. Water for her, water for him, water for them. She needs water. We need, need the natural water. But her soul needed something. 
Her insides needed something. Her heart needed something. She had sought for love in the arms of at least six different men. This woman was not the poster person for the Pentecostal Herald. Her past was stained with regret and her present was stained with sin. Yet despite all of that, Jesus still made a special trip. Knowing what she had done, knowing what she was doing, despite her past, let me tell you, Jesus did the same for us. Knowing what we were, who we were, what we had done, what we had thought, what we had said, when we thought nobody else knew Jesus has seen it all, and he still made a special trip to our door to knock and to send his voice. You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. His word, his voice. His word is his voice. That's why it takes faith to be saved. It takes faith to open that door. And if we looked around in this room tonight, then a single one of us could raise our hand and say we lived sinless. Every one of us has stood right where this woman stood. Every one of us has been this woman, regretful and sinful at the feet of Jesus. But thank God for every one of us has had the same opportunity that she had. Every one of us has been offered salvation and forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. Aren't you thankful that God forgives sin today? Aren't you thankful that Jesus saves to the utmost (laughs) and he washes all our sin away? So she asked Jesus for some of this living water. And that's when Jesus' words went right into her open wound. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come here. Oh, why did he have to mention her husband? Doesn't he know? Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he has not been in town long enough to hear the five and a half husband jokes yet. So rather than confess her current sin or past pain, she tries to hide both. I have no husband. Before you're going to get this living water, Jesus is going to deal with your problem. She says, I want this living water. Give it to me. He says, go bring your husband to me. He knows she doesn't have a husband. He's about to reveal that, but, but she doesn't know that, what he knows yet. But what I want you to see is, is a lot of people won't live in water but they don't want to deal with the problem. But Jesus is saying, before I'm handing out any living water, we're going to deal with what's wrong in your life. That's why the scripture says that he wants us to all come to repentance, uh, turn around, so that we can have this salvation. So why did he mention this? I don't have a husband. Maybe he'll think I never got married, or maybe he thinks my husband died and he'll just leave it alone. But Jesus didn't leave it alone. In fact, he puts his finger on the open wound and he presses. And with his next statement, he made her painfully aware that he knew all about her past and her present. You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus did know her past. He knew her record of wrongs and her regrets. He knew every misstep Every mistake, every sin, and every hurt. He knew every time she walked out on her husband and every time her husband walked out on her. He knew every one of her, I wish I never, and all of her, if only I hadn't. And although he knew all about her, he still loved her. 
Many times I've prayed with people in the altar and told them, you are never so bad and you have not ever done anything so wrong that Jesus doesn't love you. And I want to tell them that there's nothing too hard because sometimes people think it's been so bad it can't be fixed. It ain't been so bad it can't be fixed. There ain't nothing that Jesus cannot fix. So think about that for a moment. He knows all about her, but he still loves her. And think about that and apply it to ourselves, that he knows or knew all about us, and he loved us anyway. The almighty God in flesh, he still loved her despite her past. God, who is pure, knew her sin and loved her anyway. But he, his love is different than the love of this world. He loved her just the way she was, but he refused to let her stay that way without giving her a chance to change. When we come to the Lord, he will receive us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay that way. He will reach for us so our lives can be changed and we can be more like him and less like this world. It reminded me in Isaiah 1 and 18 when the Lord said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool. Or in Ezekiel 18 and 21 when he said, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed, keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And then in verse 31 and 32, Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. That's why Peter wrote and said, It's not the Lord's will that any perish, but all would come to repentance. God is not pleased with the death of the wicked. He wants them to change. And that's why he sent people to preach repentance and remission of sins. But you can't preach repentance without the goodness of God. And that's how good God is, that he loves us despite our faults. He loves us despite our sin. He loves us despite what we're going through. In the Bible, Paul wrote, said it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you're going to preach repentance, you don't preach God smacking people in the head. You preach him loving people despite how terrible they are. And let me tell you, there ain't nothing worse and more humbling than to realize that you're not worthy of this almighty God's love and grace, but he's giving it to you anyway. That'll make you pray, and that'll make you repent. And so they talk a while about worship, where to worship, this mountain or this place, and in spirit and in truth. And finally, she's had enough talk. She begins to stare off in the distance, hoping to see someone coming. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. How has she missed it? He had already told her all things. She's looking for Messiah. She has faith that Messiah is coming, that Christ is coming. And she said, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. He had already told her all things. But sometimes we are clouded. We don't even realize when the Savior is standing right in front of us. Heartache and guilt and pain. And, and we can't even realize that this is my opportunity to change. We, we, we can't see that God is really reaching for us because we feel so bad about our lives. When, when serious emotional trauma happens, it, it can stop us from seeing and having faith. We fall into despair. 
Think about how after Christ was crucified and those two guys were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins up with them. They don't even recognize him. And he begins to talk with them and open the scripture and say all kind of things to them. And, and they're just walking and, and sad in their heart. And they, they, they stop to eat. And after he blesses the food, they realize who he is and he disappears. And they're like, didn't our heart burn within us while he was talking? But we were so grief stricken. We were so sad and in, in such despair that we couldn't see that he was right there with us. Oh, we missed a great opportunity. There were so many things we could have asked, so many things we could have done, and, and, and we missed it because of our emotional condition. It's an eye-opening experience. We need God's words. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And, and she had heard what he said, but she couldn't realize it. She was dreaming of some other day when Messiah would come and, and right all the wrongs, and, and then she would feel hope again. And, and then uh, what Jesus says next, though, when she says, I know he's coming, Messiah's coming, Christ is coming, going to tell us all things. And he looks at her and says, the one you're talking to, I who speak to you, I am he. I am the Christ. Knocks her right out of her sandals. How could I not see it? But you know what? She has faith because she believes it. She doesn't say, uh-uh. No, not you. There's no way that she, she had faith because the voice of truth was changing her. She heard that word speak. She looked at him in the eyes. He looked at her in the eyes and she realized that he is speaking the truth. And so right there, there she is, wide open, exposed. He knows everything about my past. He knows about my present. He knows everything that's wrong in my life. But she still has faith. Let me tell you something. He loves you. And he loved her. And love covers a multitude of sin. It didn't matter what she was or who she had been. Because that love was there to cover all that and soothe all that. And nobody would have looked at her and said, this is a woman of faith. When we think of women of faith, we talk about Sarah. And we talk about Deborah. And we talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. These are women of faith. But this woman was also a woman of faith because when she heard these words, faith rose in her heart. She looked into the loving eyes of the man who called himself Messiah and realized this is what I've been looking for. Just as Jesus and this woman's well side conversation was wrapping up, Jesus' disciples came back with food. As the disciples began to hand out the lunch, the woman dropped her water pot and she runs back to the city shouting about a man she had just met. I'm sure that was news in that town. Another one? When the crowd heard about the seventh man, they probably laughed. Another person may have said, already? But there was something different about the way she talked. She wasn't talking about she had found this rugged, good-looking guy who had a great, steady job and could provide for her. He was different than the first six. He offered her living water. He called himself Messiah. He settled the worship wars, not this or that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. He knew her past, and he loved her anyway. You know, people will often say, man, if I came to church, the walls would just fall down around the place because they think, well, as soon as I get, get things straightened out in my life, I'll come on to church. But there's a flaw with that because if we wait until we're right with God, we'll never come because we'll never be 
right enough to not be lost. The scripture speaks clearly, Romans 10 or Romans 3, 23 and 3 and 10. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then there is none righteous, no, not one. And if we start thinking, well, I'll just stack all my good deeds up and that'll make me worthy. Isaiah 64 and 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we are on our best day, we can't be saved by ourselves. We have to have faith in God. And isn't it funny that people do that to say, would I get everything fixed and everything right? I'll come to church. And we don't do that with any other area of our life. Well, my car is running good, so I'll take it to the mechanic. I feel real good today. I think I'll go to the doctor. Pantry's full, cabinets are full, refrigerator's full. I guess I'll go to the grocery store. You know what you do? You go to the mechanic when your car's broke. You go to the doctor when you're feeling sick, and you go to the grocery store when ain't nothing in the fridge. Then why don't people do that with God? When they know their life's in trouble, when they know their life's broken, why don't they come to Him? Quit trying to to get yourself to some level of, of worthiness, and then I'll come pray. Come pray like you are, broken, sick, messed up, confused, whatever it is, and come give your life to God because that woman didn't have it right and he still offered her the water because she had faith. He didn't wait for her to go and and fix everything that was wrong in her past. He just waited for her to have faith in him and believe that he was the Messiah and he offered her this living water. If you're not perfect... There's hope. There was hope for the Samaritan woman. There's hope for us too. Her good deeds did not save her. She couldn't have dipped out enough water to fill, or she could have dipped out enough water to fill the Mediterranean, but that would have not been enough to save her. Jesus was not looking for her to do good deeds. He was looking for her to have faith. Have faith. He wasn't looking for her to be sin free yet. He was looking for her to have faith so he could make her sin free. When she came back to the well, she came back different. She's not sneaking through the shadows and trying to get there with anybody see her. This time she's coming up the path, but she's not coming by herself. She comes back with the whole city behind her. People had closed up their shops and ran out of their shops to to go with her. Students closed their books and ran out of the schools. And people were coming out of their gardens and out of their homes. They wanted to come see this man that she had just met, the man who knew everything about her. And loved her anyway. The man who called himself Messiah. Oh if we'd realize how powerful our testimony is. Oh if we could start telling people about our encounter with Jesus. How many lives would it touch? At the beginning of this day. I'm sure. Not one of the twelve disciples could have guessed. What would have happened by the end of that day. By the end of the day Jesus was teaching Samaritans. Matters of faith. And Samaritans were expressing faith. John 4.39 reads, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And her testimony was this, He told me all that I ever did. They urged Jesus to stay for a couple of days, and he did. And many of the Samaritans believed that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. John 4 and 42. And it all started because one woman with a regretful past, had simple faith that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, and not just the Messiah, but her Messiah. He's not just 
the God. He's our God. He's not just the Savior, but He's our Savior. And so God is calling every one of us to have faith in Him. But our faith is not just built on a conversation around a well. Our faith is built on His sacrifice on the cross. Max Lucado wrote this, said, Faith, our faith is that Jesus loved us enough that he chose to die for us rather than live without us. He said, I'll, I'll die rather than live without him. And so he died for us. And if we have a regretful past like this woman at the well, then we are a candidate for God's grace. All we have to do is have simple faith. For it is by grace through faith. That grace is there. But we've got to have faith to let it work in our life. It's not just that God sprinkled grace on everybody and now everybody's saved. We've got to have faith. Yes. I want to finish with this testimony tonight. Uh, when I get to the end of it, a lot of, or in the middle of it, a lot of you will realize who this man is talking about. But this is a true story. This is a testimony of a, a great Pentecostal preacher. It says that Nick started his life the right way. He was raised in a preacher's home, so his childhood was filled with memory verses and sword drills, those kind of games to see who could find a verse in the Bible the fastest. Preachers were in and out of his home, and he was in and out of theirs. Since his parents evangelized, he was in more church services than most kids his age. But something happened during his teenage years that sent him spiraling into sin. At first, he dabbled in drugs and drinking, and then he dove into hard drugs like cocaine and crack cocaine. He couldn't go one day without at least one drug or one drink. And that influence drove him to violence. He robbed and assaulted innocent people just because he could. His record with the police read like a glossary of charges. But one day his past caught up with him. He was in a car and when a man pointed the gun at him through the window, Nick immediately grabbed the man's arm and gun and pulled him into the car. The next scene looked like a cartoon as one arm was out one window and one foot was out the other. And during the scuffle, a chain around the man's neck fell out and revealed a badge. Nick had just gone toe-to-toe with a police officer. It wasn't long before he was face down on the ground with his hands cuffed behind his back and headed headfirst into a police car and headlong into a prison sentence. But the judge had mercy on him and sentenced him to drug court which was a miracle because due to the nature of his crimes, he was not eligible for drug court. As he walked into the rehab center, one of the staff noticed his last name and asked, What's your name? Nick Mahaney. Are you related to Charles Mahaney? Yeah, he's my dad. Well, I'm going to call some people to make sure we pray for you. Nick settled into his room and into a long 18-month stay. After a while, when he realized the God his parents preached about was his only hope, he mustered enough faith to believe God would hear him and forgive him despite his past. So he called out to God in repentance, and God came running to him with forgiveness. And the rest, as they say, is history. Since that day, God has been mightily using Nick Mahaney and his testimony of deliverance and forgiveness to inspire and transform the lives of countless people who once thought life was hopeless. Very few, if any, would have esteemed Nick Mahaney as a candidate for Jesus to minister to and to minister through while serving his sentence. But Jesus was not looking for perfection in Nick. He was looking for faith from him. 
and Nick found faith in Jesus and Jesus found an evangelist in Nick and God is not looking for perfection from us he's looking for faith from us and if he can find faith from us only heaven knows what God can do in us and through us and it's all because of faith well if we could see